hi, this is Glenn Rawson. One of the most powerful ways to share history and heritage is by the telling of stories. We began sharing inspiring stories nearly 30 years ago. Each of those stories is true and was intended to inspire and strengthen faith. Over the years, those stories have reached millions around the world. This podcast is for you to listen, learn, and enjoy. I'm beginning to feel a little guilty, but if you will forgive, please forgive, just one last little boy on the ranch story. I will let those ride for a while, but I think you need to hear this one, and then I'll quit. Here's the story. If I had known (laughs) what I was getting into, I never, never, never would have asked. I was about five years old. As I've mentioned, we lived on a ranch in the Lemhi Valley of Idaho, Hayden Creek. My dad bought a Guernsey milk cow and named her Buttercup. Every night and morning after Buttercup calved, dad would go out to milk her. And you know what? That milk was good. To this day, there is nothing as good as home milked milk. Well, I would go out with him and I would watch. I can still picture that barn in my mind. I can still see my dad sitting there milking a cow and squirting it into the cat's mouth, even squirting it at me. Well, I thought, I watched him do this and and I thought, that looks like great fun. (laughs) So I asked him if I could try it. He finally said I could. That first milking of the cow, those of you that grew up on the farm, you know exactly what's coming. That first milking of the cow turned into a twice a day chore for the rest of the years I lived at home. I quickly tired of it, but dad insisted, no, that's your job now. And on it went from there. In addition and in time, it was added to the milking feed the stock, water the stock, do this, do that. Every morning, every night, rain or shine, hot or cold, no matter my school schedule or my sports schedule, I had chores. And dad made sure of it. We would come in from a long day in the saddle and dad would make sure that we took care of the horses before we took care of ourselves. It didn't matter that we worked in the fields from daylight to dark. We still had to be up early and out late to get the chores done. Those chores were like a religion to my dad, and he held me to it until I finally left home. I remember one night, for example, long after dark, my dad sending me out to milk the cow in a driving blizzard. I couldn't find her. I stumbled through the snow and wind, colder than a popsicle, until I finally found that cow and got the job done, because I knew my dad wouldn't let me quit. I cannot tell you how much I hated those chores then, and how grateful I am for them now. A chore 
is defined as an ordinary job that must be done regularly, or definition number two, an unpleasant, boring, or difficult thing that must be done. Well, my chores were both. Now, a few weeks ago, I drove back up to the valley, and I stopped by that old milk barn where it all started. That barn has since fallen in, collapsed to the ground, and is rotting away. It's gone. But what this child learned there endures. I learned through those chores the value of the value and importance of work and being steadfast at it and never giving up. Thanks be to God now for an old-fashioned dad who gave me chores that contributed to the welfare of my family and were meaningful. I believe it made me a better man. Now, if you would permit me, may I have you consider a broader application of chores. A chore, again, is an ordinary, sometimes boring or unpleasant job or task that must be done daily. Studies have shown that a number of benefits come to those who discipline themselves with daily chores. Like make your bed is one of them that's quite popular these days. In that spirit, may I suggest just one, one of many significant chores that if done daily will change your future forever. Quoting Alma 34:21. Cry unto him in your houses, yea, over all your household, both morning, midday, and evening. End of quote. We have been given, my dear friends, meaningful chores by the Almighty and asked to be diligent. Diligent means to be attentively persistent in getting them done. Now, how are we doing? How are you doing? Figuratively speaking about chores, spiritual chores, are the cows still alive? <laughs> I hope I may be forgiven for that story. God speaks in different ways to different people. Some people have the gift of angels, visions, and dreams, and I've talked a lot about those people. But I'm not one of those. For me, it is much more subtle. I get ideas, impressions, urging thoughts, or sometimes I just get a push. Now, I've spoken quite a bit about the former, visions, revelations, and dreams. This story is about the latter. Ole and Marne Peterson had left Denmark in April 1857, bound for Utah. Once in America, they had been assigned to the Park Handcart Company. However, at the Missouri River, Marne, who had an infection in her leg, was told she would never make it to the valley. They stayed near Council Bluffs and farmed, preparing for that day when they could continue on to Zion. Then in the spring, of 1861, a large wagon train was organized, and Ole and Marne and their four children, Petter, 14, 
Annie, six, and the babies, Mary and Joseph, joined them. Somewhere along the trail, sickness spread through the camp, and little Annie became ill. Notwithstanding, she was administered to, and the fervent prayers on her behalf, Annie grew weaker until at last she was declared dead. Now, I don't know all the reasons, it's not explained, but there was danger on the trail from Indians. Hence, it was decreed that the company could not linger with enough time to dig a proper grave. According to family records, the child was wrapped in a blanket, covered in heavy brush, and the company went on. Death was no stranger to Ole and Marn, as they'd already buried three children in their native Denmark. Nevertheless, it was hard to leave Annie behind under those circumstances, but obedient to their captain, they went on. They had not gone far when it was deemed expedient that they had to make camp because there were threats against them. That night around the fire, as was customary, the company sang, Come, Come, Ye Saints, the great anthem of the trail. As the company raised their voices, all is well, all is well, the feeling gnawed at Marne that all was not well. It was like the spirit was trying to tell her something. Oli, she said, I can't feel our baby was dead. I know, dear, said Oli gently. We had so many plans, but she was, and there's nothing we can do now but pray that we will be able to raise the family we have and more when we settle in Zion. Come to the wagon so it be refreshed for tomorrow's travel, end of quote. Wearily, Marn started for the wagon. Oli, listen to the wolves, she said. Our baby is lying back there alone, not even protected by a grave. How can we stand to go on? We must make up our minds to go on and trust in the Lord for the rest, he replied. I can't, Oli. I just can't. Gently but firmly, Oli took her by the arm and led her back to the wagon. The next morning at dawn, Oli discovered that Marn was not in her bed and nowhere to be found in the camp. A search was mounted until suddenly someone spotted her in the distance, coming toward the camp from the east. She was carrying a burden and stumbling with weariness. Oli ran to his wife and lifted the burden from her arms. As he spoke to Marn, it struck him. The burden was Annie, and the child was warm. She was alive. Annie Christina Peterson would recover and live to marry Samuel Wilcox, bear nine children, and as a midwife, bring many children safely into mortality. God be thanked for his inspiration and for all those mothers who can hear it, who in love and tenderness listen and never give up on us. In this next story, I quote from an article in LDS Living magazine. It illustrates once again the influence of those on the other side of the veil working for our salvation. 
And I might add, all those of you, as President Nelson said, who are doing anything, whether on this side of the veil or the other, to help people along the covenant path, you are gathering Israel. How beautiful upon the mountains are your feet too. Shortly after the Logan, Utah Temple was dedicated on May 17, 1884, Bishop Henry Ballard of the Logan Second Ward was busy interviewing members and writing recommends when his young daughter, Ellen, delivered a newspaper to him. The paper was the Newberry Weekly News, which was published in Henry's birthplace of Newberry, Berkshire, England. The paper's date was May 15, 1884. That had only been printed three days earlier. Now, at that time, a typical trip across the ocean and then across the plains took weeks, if not months. Bishop Ballard's young daughter explained that she had been playing on the sidewalk when two strangers handed her the paper and gave strict instructions that she should deliver it to no one except her father. Upon inspection, Bishop Ballard found the newspaper to contain a story with the names of 60 people and their accompanying dates of birth and death. The next day, Bishop Ballard sought an explanation from Temple President Mariner W. Merrill. After listening to the bishop's story, President Merrill said, quote, Brother Ballard, someone on the other side is anxious for their work to be done, and they knew that you would do it if this paper got into your hands, end of quote. Bishop Henry Ballard made certain the temple work was complete, and later it was learned that most of the people named in the newspaper were related to the Ballard family. Now there's a postscript to that story. More than 50 years later, the great-grandson of Henry Ballard, young M. Russell Ballard, was serving a mission in England, and he made a visit to the offices of the Newberry Weekly News. He said, I visited the Newberry Weekly News and verified that the newspaper had never been post-dated or mailed out early. He said, I held the issue of 15 May 1884 in my hands and photographed it. There is no mortal way in 1884 it could have reached Logan from Newberry within three days. End of quote. I'm sure if I asked you to send me stories of miracles surrounding temple worship, you would have many. Last story for the evening. I am not ashamed to say to you and all the world, I believe in living prophets of the living God. I reverence the canonized words of those who have gone before, but more and more I am coming to cherish the words of the unassuming, modest individuals who hold the keys as prophets, seers, and revelators. And this story, in part, explains why. The William and Mary Goble family emigrated from England in 1856. 
Upon their arrival in Iowa City, they were assigned to the Hunt Wagon Company. Remember, the Hunt and Hodgett Wagon Companies came out around the same time from Iowa City as the Willie and Martin Handcart Companies. And the Hunt Company was caught in Wyoming snows October of 1856. Their sufferings, too, the Hunt Company, they were indescribable. Nevertheless, the Goble family trudged on, burying family members as they came across the plains. Daughter Mary said, quote, We arrived in Salt Lake City nine o'clock at night, the 11th of December, 1856. Three out of four family members that were living were frozen. My mother was dead in the wagon. Bishop Hardy had had us taken to a home in his ward, and the brethren and sisters brought us plenty of food. We had to be careful and not eat too much as it might kill us. We were so hungry. Early next morning, Brother Brigham Young and a doctor came. The doctor's name was Williams. When Brother Young came in, he shook hands with us all. When he saw our condition, our feet frozen and our mother dead, tears rolled down his cheek. The doctor amputated my toes using a saw and a butcher knife. Brigham Young promised me I would not have to have any more of my feet cut off. The sisters were dressing mother for the last time. Oh, how did we stand it? That afternoon she was buried. End of quote. Can you imagine the physical and emotional pain and suffering that Mary endured? Not just because of her family, but because of her feet. She went on to describe the story of her feet, saying, My feet kept getting worse until the following July I went to Dr. Wiseman's to live with him to pay for him to doctor my feet. But it was no use. He said he could do no more for me unless I could consent to have them cut off at the ankle. I told him what Brigham Young had promised me. He said, all right, sit there and rot, and I will do nothing more until you come to your senses. Mary said, one day I sat there crying. My feet were hurting me so. When a little old woman knocked at the door, she said she had felt someone needed her there for a number of days. When she saw me crying, she came and asked what was the matter. I showed her my feet and told her the promise Brother Young had given me. She said, yes, and with the help of the Lord, we will save them yet. Mary said she made a poultice and put it on my feet. And every day after the doctor had gone, she would come and change the poultice. At the end of three months, my feet were well. One day, Dr. Weissman said, Well, Mary, I must say you have grit. I suppose your feet have rotted to the knees by this time. I said, Oh, no, my feet are well. He said, I know better. It could never be. Mary said, I took off my stockings and showed him my feet. He said that it was a miracle 
and wanted me to tell him what I had been doing. I told him to never mind that they were now healed. I have never had to have any more taken from them. The promise of Brigham Young has been fulfilled. End of quote. I believe in the promises of living prophets. Call me a child, call me a fool, I don't care. If we focus on the promises of the prophets, obey the conditions required and set forth, we may call upon the Almighty for them to be fulfilled. That is my faith as conference comes upon us. For example, consider this, delivered by President Russell M. Nelson at the close of the October 2020 conference. It's the last thing he said to us. He said, and I quote, I bless you to be filled with the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ. I bless you with an increased desire and ability to obey the laws of God. I promise that as you do, you'll be showered with blessings, including greater courage increased personal revelation, sweeter harmony in your homes, and joy, even amid uncertainty. End of quote. Thank you for listening. Many of the stories you heard today have been published and are archived at glenrossonstories.com. If you would like more information, you can communicate with us there. We will be back again with another podcast next week.